Hello and welcome back to Entering the Infinite, the Magic the Gathering podcast all about infinite combos. I'm your host, Jaren Benick. Last week, we talked about Yorn, God of Winter, and all of the insane value that Yorn can provide while giving you a really good combo finish. Um, but this week, I think that this commander can outmatch all of that value that Yorn can give us. This week, we're doing Riku of Two Reflections. Uh, I'll read them off quick before I start the, inter- the introduction. Uh, Riku of Two Reflections is two, a green, a blue, and a red, so five mana total. For a legendary creature, Human Wizard, he's a 2-2. Whenever you cast an instant sorcery spell, you may pay a blue and a red. If you do copy that spell, you may choose new targets for the copy. Whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay a green and a blue. If you do create a creature, create a token that's a copy of that creature. So, without doing anything else, Riku gives us twice as many copies of anything that we play in instant or a sorcery. So he's a really high-value commander with a very large amount of potential and a lot of auto-includes that automatically go in the deck that can easily contribute to several different combos. But before we get into the combo aspect of it, you got to go over the main themes of the deck. The first theme is creatures and spells to copy. High-impact and high-value are the best considerations. So we want... Creatures that do a lot of things when they hit the board. We have creatures with a lot of enter-the-battlefield effects, things like that. Creatures that put lands into play, destroy permanents, get us additional value however they can. And we want our spells to do the same thing. We want plenty of removal spells, plenty of ramp spells, plenty of spells that go all in between. The second theme of the deck is that Riku needs a really large amount of mana to both play creatures and copy them, and play spells and copy them. So since, essentially, if we want to get maximum value out of Riku and all of these spells that we're playing, we need to be able to both play the creature or the spell and be able to pay for Riku's ability, which can be pretty mana-intensive depending on what you're doing, especially because Riku has... Um, those specific color requirements. So we need a lot of mana in order to do everything that our deck wants to be doing. And the last theme of the deck, if you didn't guess it already, is copying. Now we still need the deck to hum and work and grind the gears without Riku on the board. So spells that copy instants and sorceries, we want plenty of those, and spells that create tokens of creatures as well. That way, we're still doing exactly what we want our deck to be doing without Riku on the board. If he costs too much mana, he's been removed one too many times, we just don't have access to him. Now for our main combos, we're actually going to be able to put two in this deck. And both are equally deadly and equally easy to find and both assemble. Now one of these you might already know, and it's uh, a little obvious, uh, it is Kiki Jiki, Mirror Breaker, and I'll read him off here pretty quick. Uh, Kiki Jiki, Mirror Breaker is two and triple red, so five mana total for a legendary creature, Goblin Shaman. He's a two-two, and he has haste. And you can tap Kiki Jiki. You create a token that's a copy of target non-legendary creature you control. 
that token has haste, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. So just by tapping uh, Kiki Jiki, we get to just automatically create a token of whatever we want, and that token gets haste. So already, we absolutely want Kiki Jiki just even in the 99, even if we weren't playing combo, because Kiki does one of our main themes. He copies our creatures for us without any kind of mana investment. We can use him on the turn that he comes down, so we automatically get uh, some value off of them. So Kiki Jiki pairs with any creature that untaps Kiki Jiki. Um, I'm going to talk about two more later in um, the series, but there are a lot of really obvious creatures that pair with Kiki Jiki, but the one that we're going to be using, the one that I think gets us the most value, um, and a creature that we can make tokens of that'll still give us some value, uh, is Zealous Conscripts. So it's four and a red for a creature human warrior. It's a 3-3. Three, three. It has haste. When Zealous Conscripts enters the battlefield, gain control of target permanent until end of turn. Untap that permanent. It gains haste until end of turn. So how the combo works is you have Zealous Conscripts on the board already. Or you have Kiki Jiki on the board already. One of the two. You play the other one. And then you tap Kiki Jiki to make a copy of Zealous Conscripts. So when Zealous Conscripts enters the battlefield, you gain control of target permanent and untap it. And it gains haste. So what you do is, instead of stealing an opponent's permanent, you steal Kiki-Jiki. You gain control of Kiki-Jiki, which you already control. But the important thing is that Zealous Conscripts also untaps whatever permanent you choose to gain control of. So Zealous Conscripts enters, you use the untap on it to untap Kiki-Jiki, you make another Zealous Conscript, you do that infinitely until you have an infinite number of tokens. So that's the main combo. That's one of the two. The other one which is a lot of fun, actually. I like this one a lot more, and I'm excited to see if I can uh, pull it off myself. We're going to go with Dual Caster Mage. It's one, a red, and a red for a creature, a human wizard. It's a 2-2. That's Flash. And when Dual Caster Mage enters the battlefield, copy target instant or sorcery spell, you may choose new targets for the copy. So we need Dual Caster Mage, and then any creature copy spell. And I'm going to be talking about a lot of creature copy spells um, later here in the podcast. But for the time being, we're going to say Cackling Counterpart. So Cackling Counterpart is one, a blue and a blue for an instant. Create a token that's a, top, that's a copy of target creature you control. So you cast Cackling Counterpart on something. You play Dual Caster Mage. It flashes in. It makes a copy of Cackling Counterpart. With the copy, you make another, you make a token of Dual Caster Mage. Dual Caster Mage enters. The original Cackling Counterpart is still in the stack. It hasn't resolved yet. So then the copy of Dual Caster Mage copies the Cackling Counterpart. It makes another copy of Dual Caster Mage. It makes another Cackling Counterpart. And that way, you get an infinite number of creatures until you just choose to copy another instant of sorcery spell with the Dual Caster. Or you choose to um, create a token of a different creature with the Cackling Counterpart. So both of these combos uh, slot really well into this deck. Zealous Conscripts is a great just value creature for us to 
copy with Riku, for us to copy with a lot of the other cards that I'm going to talk about later. Kikijiki is a card that creates tokens of the creatures that we want to be copying. Dualcaster Mage can copy one of our instants or sorcery spells, and it's a creature, so we can make copies of Dualcaster Mage in order to create more copies of our other instants and sorceries. And Cackling Counterpart is an instant that we want to copy that creates copies of the creatures that we want to copy. So all of these cards slot in really well with the deck. None of them are real outliers, and it'll be really easy to find these pieces and assemble them. So, the, fir the first thing that we're going to talk about here is big mana. So like I said earlier, Riku needs a very large amount of mana to both play creatures and copy them, and play spells and copy them. So, some of the spells that we can use that'll give us more mana that we can copy later once we have Riku and we have the ability to copy them if we draw them later. Um, I'm just going to name them off. I'm not really going to go into depth about any of these. They're just really basic ramp spells. Uh, we've got Cultivate, Kodama's Reach, Farseek, and Rampant Growth. These spells are simple, effective, and, and auto-inclusions. They're just basic. They're just your basic green ramp spells. Um... And they're easily copyable for extra value. So you can play, cultivate, copy it for two, and then you get four basics. You get two on the board and two in your hand. Um, with playing a Rampant Growth, you'll get two right on the board um, for four mana. And it's the same with Farseek and Kodama's Reach. So these are good um, early if we draw them. Helps us get into Riku, helps us get that mana set up. Um, but they're still also good late game. Because then when we draw them and we have a ton of mana, we can copy them a, a couple of times, thin our deck out a lot, get a ton of mana out on the board. Uh, the next part of our big ramp package is going to be creatures to copy. So Riku specifically wants instants, sorceries, and creatures. That way he can copy all of those different um, kinds of cards. So, again, I'm just going to name these off. I'm not going to go too far into these. Um, we've got Wood Elves, Farhaven Elf, Springbloom Druid, and Solemn Simulacrum. So, all of these creatures just get a land out of your deck, put it on the battlefield. Um, creatures that get lands out of our deck are just as good, since they put bodies on board, and being able to copy them and put more tokens of them onto the board, getting more mana on the board in order to later copy bigger threats multiple times is really good and it's the same thing as uh the ramps the other ramp spells you can play them early you set yourself up if you draw them late you can copy them a bunch of times and get a lot of value out of them so uh other than just straight up getting lands out of the decks getting lands out of your deck and putting them onto the board um i was thinking of some other value creatures that we could be using so, in the case of Risen Reef and Coiling Oracle, um, these cards, they almost do about the same thing. They both have some differently worded text, but essentially, when either of them come into play, you can look at the top card of your library. If it's a land, it goes into play. If it isn't, you can put it into your hand. Um, they're worded a bit differently. Coiling Oracle... Um, is also one mana less. So Coiling Oracle is a green and a blue for a creature, elf, snake, elf, druid. It's a 1-1. One, one. When it enters the battlefield, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a land card, put it on the battlefield. Otherwise, put that card into your hand. Risen Reef is one more mana, but 
it's a little bit better for what we're trying to do. So Risen Reef is one, a green and a blue for a creature elemental. It's a one, one as well. Whenever Risen Reef or another elemental enters the battlefield under your control, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield tapped. If you don't put the card onto the battlefield, put it into your hand. So Risen Reef is a little bit better to copy because when the first Risen Reef enters, it'll just look at one card. But if you make a copy of Risen Reef, then when that one enters, it'll trigger twice. It'll trigger off of itself and off of the other Risen Reef that you already have on the board. So the effect accumulates, and if you can make three or four copies of this and have them enter, you'll be getting a ton of triggers just for getting one copy of a single card. So both of these cards do double duty, being both card draw and ramp. And in the Reef's case, the more of them that we have, the better. So instead of going and just directly getting lands, we're just kind of sifting through the top, putting whatever lands we have on the top on the board, and whatever non-lands into our hand. So they're both card draw, and they're both ramp, and they're both pretty um, good to copy. So then, in the, so then the other two cards that I was thinking for other value are Kiora's Follower and the Vizier of Tumbling Sands. Now, both of these cards also do double duty. Um, they let us untap permanence. They let us untap our lands. Um, that way we can get more mana to then play more things, copy more things, use Riku's trigger. But in the case of combo, they also let us untap Kiki-Jiki. However, by tapping them to untap Kiki-Jiki, uh, the tokens are tapped, so we won't be able to win... Um, immediately, and the tokens do get sacrificed at the beginning of the next end step, which is why I didn't include um, any of these creatures as part of our uh, as part of our main combo. Uh, however, they do still let us um, untap our mana. They're still pretty good um, value pieces, and if they can go completely unnoticed, then you can actually do the combo on. Um, someone's end step before it is your turn um, because of the way that Kikijiki is worded. Um, if you do it on the end step, you will have them when you untap. You can go to combat and kill everyone that way. So once we have um, as much mana as we need to to be able to copy um, all of these creatures, we actually need creatures um, to copy in the first place. So one of the first ones, it's a new one from uh, Strixhaven. It is Wandering Archaic. It is 5 mana of any color. For a creature, it's an avatar. It's a 4-4. Four, four. Whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery spell, they may, make, they may pay 2. And if they don't, you may copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. And it does have a flip side to it. Uh, explore the Vast Lands. It's 3 mana for a sorcery. Each player looks at the top 5 cards of their library, reveals a land card and or an instant or sorcery card from among them then puts the cards they revealed this way into their hand and the rest on the bottom of their library in a random order, each player gains three life. We probably won't ever play the Explore the Vast Lands um, side of this. We mostly want it for the front face, the Smothering Tithe, the Ristic Study um, kind of effect to be able to get um, our opponent's spells. So what exactly is better than copying our own spells? 
um, that would be copying our opponents. So making more copies of the wandering archaic just makes the effect just makes the effect cost more. It makes the tax more. So we're more and more likely to get um, more copies of our opponent spells with the more copies of wandering archaic that we have. So I think that this card. Not only is it just like a really good value card, but I think it works really well with this deck specifically because Riku wants to copy instant or sorcery spells, um, whether they're ours or our opponents, um, and he wants to copy high-value creatures. So this is a high-value creature that kind of does both things. So the next creature on the list uh, is Terror of the Peaks. It is three, a red and a red, for a creature dragon it is a 5-4, it has flying. Spells your opponent's cast that target Terror of the Peaks cost an additional 3 lives to cast. And whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Terror of the Peaks deals damage equal to that creature's power to any target. So, getting to turn all of our creatures in damage just adds more value, uh, providing removal when we need it, or just additional damage on top of their own effects. So, getting to... Um, play a Risen Reef, getting to copy it, uh, that's two damage. We can ping a Mana Dork and then ping an opponent for one. Uh, not too bad, but uh, the bigger creatures that we play, the more advantage we're going to be getting out of the Terror of the Peaks. And copying the Terror of the Peaks just makes that threat so much worse, especially if it comes into play and then we get a copy of it. That copy comes into play and it'll immediately shoot five damage because of the other terror that we already have to whatever we want. And then playing a creature after that and copying that creature. Ugh, I feel bad for anyone that has to be on the other side of that board. So the next couple of creatures that I wanted to talk about, um, I wanted to preface them with something. So uh, cards like Consecrated Sphinx and Creative Book Behemoth, they absolutely go in this deck, right? Um, I really don't need to talk about why you need to put Consecrated Sphinx and Crater of Behemoth in here, or any cards that are like that. They're really good cards, and they're auto and they're automatically included in this deck. Like it's obvious you should be putting those cards in this deck, but they're not that interesting to discuss because they're really powerful for a reason. They're really obvious cards. So I wanted to talk about um, a few creatures that are a little under the radar. I think. Um, the first one we, that we have is Thorn Mammoth. It's five, a green and a green for a creature elephant. It is a 6-6. Six, six. It has Trample. Whenever Thorn Mammoth or another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Thorn Mammoth fights up to one target creature you don't control. So, Thorn Mammoth is almost like a green Terror of the Peaks. Almost. Almost. Um, it doesn't trigger based on power or anything the thorn mammoth itself fights whatever it wants you do need to be cautious though about um how many creatures you're fighting with the thorn mammoth um it is it does say up to one so you can choose to not fight something if um its health is about to get too low because the damage does say mark does stay marked on um the thorn mammoth for as long as it's fighting things um but playing a thorn mammoth getting to fight something, copying the Thorn Mammoth, that Thorn Mammoth enters, the other one triggers. So getting to fight three things um, when you play just Thorn Mammoth is pretty good. And then you can play a Coiling Oracle a couple of turns later when you have both Thorn Mammoths, 
both thorn mammoths will fight something you copy this coiling oracle then they'll both fight something again that's a lot of damage going around and a 6-6 body will kill most things thorn mammoth gives repeatable removal since it will also trigger on our tokens and having more than just one copy of it makes that removal stack up so it's really good another card that uh actually just came out in modern horizons 2 that i think is pretty good it's it's at least interesting and cool to consider uh it's junk winder so it's five a blue and a blue for a creature serpent it has affinity for tokens so this spell costs one less for each to cast for each uh creature for each token you control sorry um it is a five six Whenever a token enters the battlefield under your control, tap target non-land permanent and opponent controls. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So, um, it's not dead in the water where it just taps things. I don't think that it would be that good if it just taps things. But, keeping things locked down for at least a turn, I think is definitely pretty good. Um, the fact that Junkwinder can come down um, for two mana is pretty decent and the fact that whenever any token enters the battlefield under your control you uh can tap whatever you'd like it stays tap um you can tap artifacts you can tap creatures down um not only that but if you get multiple copies of junk winder and then you make copies of creatures you're getting to tap down maybe two or three things per every creature token that you're making and speaking of creature tokens, uh, these creatures aren't um, very good copy targets, but I do think that since we're going to be making a lot of tokens, these creatures um, deserve a slot in the deck. They at least deserve to be considered. So we're going to be talking about Essex, Fractal Bloom, and Brutaclad, Telfar Engineer. So I'm going to read Essex first. Uh, Essex Fractal Bloom is 4, a green and a blue for a legendary creature, Fractal. It's a 4-4, four, four, it has flying. The first time you would create one or more tokens during each of your turns, you may instead choose a creature other than Essex Fractal Bloom and create that many tokens that are copies of that creature. And Brutoclad, Telcor Engineer, is 4 mana, uh, a blue and a red, so 6 mana total for a legendary artifact creature, an artificer. It's a 4-4. Four, four. Brutoclad says, creature tokens, you have haste. I already like that. Uh, and at the beginning of combat on your turn, create a 2-1 blue mirror artifact creature token. Then you may choose a token you control if you do each other token you control because it becomes a copy of that token. So both of these creatures deal with tokens in a very interesting way. So uh, I'm going to go over Essex first. Um, so Essex, you can create a token of basically whatever creature you want if you were going to make a token anyway so essex on board just kind of piles on um with a lot of our token making strategies so if you have say a zealous conscripts and you really want to take someone's ulamog um but you don't have the ability to copy the zealous conscripts you don't have like a copy spell in hand you've already played it you can play the coiling oracle in your hand make a copy of the coiling oracle but then essex when it, the first time you would create one or more tokens you can copy something else so then you can copy the zealous conscript snatch up that ulamog swing at someone deal a bunch of damage so i think essex is really good in this deck just because it adds to the um create creature tokens aspect of the deck 
And Brutaclad is also very interesting. So Brutaclad will make a creature to will make a creature token. It'll make a token. And then you can choose any token you control, and all your other tokens become a copy of that token. So a lot of the creatures that we probably want to play are going to be um, creatures that have enter the battlefield triggers, things like Risen Reef and Coiling Oracle that you get value when you play them. However, since we are playing a lot of instants and sorceries that we want to um, cast and copy then, we can make things like treasure tokens, which kind of ties in with our big, um, our big mana theme. We want a lot of mana. So um, let's say we have Brutaclad on board. And we have maybe, uh, let's go with four. We have four uh, creature tokens. We cast a Brass's Bounty. We copy it with Riku. And we make at least nine treasure tokens off of just one Brass's Bounty. So that's 18 right there. And then Brutaclad will turn the other four creature tokens that we have into more treasures. Um, or Brutaclad can, make, can turn them copies can turn them into copies of food tokens. We can gain back a, a bunch of life. We can turn them into clue tokens. We can uh, sacrifice all of them and draw a bunch of cards. So I think Brutaclad's kind of flex spot here, um, changing our creature tokens into other kinds of tokens, uh, making use of them after their uh, enter the battlefield abilities have been triggered is, is, uh, is pretty good. Um, alternatively, we can also just um, turn all of our tokens into copies of, say, a Thorn Mammoth or the or a Terra of the Peaks. Um, play a single creature, white boards, wipe wipe uh, wipe life totals, uh, wipe life totals out. So I think both of these creatures deal with tokens in a very interesting way, and I think they both deserve a slot in the deck. I think making all of our creature tokens to treasures, or the other way around, making all of our treasure tokens into creatures. Um, Brutaclad does give them haste. Um, I think that can really swing a game in our favor and creating uh, more copies of creatures and Essex, and Essex case uh, is absolutely what we're about. And another thing that we're about is copying spells. So there are plenty of spells that we um, can copy. There's lots of really good cards. Um, but I'm going to talk about some ways that we can copy spells even if we don't have Riku. Um, I'll talk about some ways that we can copy creatures without Riku um, a little bit later. Uh, but for now, we're going to start with bonus round, which, funnily enough, can be copied with Riku. I, I think that's really funny and absolutely worth noting. But bonus round is one, a red and a red for a sorcery. Until end of turn, whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, that player copies it and may choose new targets for the copy. So, when we cast bonus round, you actually can copy it with Riku, and then you will get two copies of whatever um, you want. So then you'll have three instances of a single card, and four if you use Riku. So playing bonus round and copying it is really good for a catch-up turn. Um, it's really good as a game ender, or just for like a really good value play. So... Uh, playing bonus round and copying it, and then playing a Farseek and copying that, that gives you four instances of a single Farseek, and that's only one spell. 
So bonus round doesn't say the next spell you cast. It says until end of turn whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell. So anything that you cast after bonus round will let you copy it three up to four times if you use Riku. So the next copier is going to be Double Vision. It is three red and a red for an enchantment. Whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell each turn, you can copy that spell, and you may choose new targets for the copy. So, this is not a very steep investment. It's only five mana, and it gives you a lot of value. So, getting two copies of a spell for no additional mana cost on that spell is perfect. Um, it's also worth noting that this does not trigger um, for all of our other spells that we cast later in the turn. It's only on the first spell that you cast each turn, but... Um, it does trigger on your opponent's turn. So you can cast a spell on your turn, an instant on your opponent's turn, an instant on another opponent's turn, an instant on your uh, other opponent's turn, and you'll get a lot of value out of the double vision. The third spell copier is going to be Twinning Staff. It is three mana for an artifact. If you would copy a spell one or more times, instead copy it that many times plus an additional time, you may choose new targets for the additional copy. Seven mana, tap it. Copy target instant or sorcery spell. You may you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. So we want as many copies of our spells as we can get. So uh, the twinning staff is incredibly low cost and it's really efficient. So it's perfect. Um, casting a cultivate, copying it with Riku, and then getting another copy off of the twinning staff is great value so that's five mana for three copies for three instances of a single cultivate so twinning staff absolutely has to go in the back the fourth one is a little bit steeper in price it is thousand year storm it is four a blue and a red for an enchantment when have you cast an instant or sorcery spell copy it for each other instant and uh, sorcery spell you've cast before it, this turn, you may choose new targets for the copy. So you cast a Farseek, nothing happens. You cast a Cultivate, you get two Cultivate triggers because you cast the Farseek before the Cultivate. You cast two spells, so you get to copy it um, once. And then you cast a Kodama's Reach, so then you copy the Kodama's Reach twice because you cast the Cultivate and the Farseek before it. And it just keeps going. So this requires more spells to be cast consecutively in order to get um, a lot of maximum value. But with all of the mana that we're getting from all the creatures that we're copying from Riku, all of our Risen Reef triggers, all of the ramp spells that we're copying, um, it shouldn't be very hard to cast at least two or three spells in a turn. The last one is a very steep mana cost to play. But it has a lot of value to it. So it's Swarm Intelligence. It is six and a blue for an enchantment. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may copy that spell, and you may choose new targets for the copy. So it's both better and worse than Double Vision. Um, it's better because it copies any instant or sorcery spell we cast, not just the first one. But it's worse. Be but it's worse because it is um, a really steep investment you're most likely to just drop Swarm Intelligence and just pass the turn with how much mana um, it actually is. Um, but 
if you can get it to stick, if you can untap with Swarm Intelligence, or even save your mana up until you have 7 mana and just Swarm Intelligence into a Farseek, you're getting immediate value off of that card. Um, but being able to untap with a Swarm Intelligence, and then casting a bonus round and copying the bonus round with Riku is more value than I think I can than I think I can handle right now. So now that we're done copying spells, I think it's time that we copy some creatures. So uh, a little footnote before I actually get into talking about um, some of the, some actual cards. Um, clones I think are worth considering in the deck, just because it's um, another version of just more creature copying. Um, I'm choosing not to add them, though, uh, in favor of going for a more token-style build um, for things like Essex, Brutaclad, Junkwinder, that kind of stuff. Um, I still I think they're worth considering. If clones are your thing, go for it. So the first kind of section about copying creatures is I'm not going to go through each of these in detail. I'm just going to kind of name them off. They're more or less all do the same exact thing. They create a token of um, a creature. So we've got Cackling Counterpart, a new one from Innistrad Midnight Hunt, Croaking Counterpart. Uh, we have Mythos of Aluna, Quasi-Duplicate, Rite of Replication, and Replicate, which is part of Refugiate Replicate. So these are cheap and easy to add more um, with Riku. So you can play a lot of these kinds of cards, you can copy them with Riku, and they'll still do the same thing that we want. Um, we want instances of sorceries that we can copy, and we want to be copying creatures. So these spells cross uh, between making creature tokens and having spells to copy, and that overlap is absolutely perfect for this deck, and that's exactly what we want to be doing. Um, I think there are a lot more than just these couple that I've named, but um, these ones are uh, just the cheapest. They're the most efficient. They're just low-cost instants and sorceries that just copy a creature. The second one is Flame Shadow Conjuring. It is three and a red for an enchantment. Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay a red and if you do put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of that creature, that token gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next, of the next end step. So adding, an, adding a single cost of red onto each creature cost to get two of them is not bad at all. Even adding Riku's um, ability onto it, the cost is very little. But it's still really worth it. So let's imagine a scenario, right? We'll just use Risen Reef. So we cast Risen Reef for three. It enters. We pay two to Riku to create a token of it. And then we pay another red to Flame Shadow Conjuring to get another token of it. So for six mana, we get three Risen Reefs. And we'll get six triggers from all three of them entering. So that's six lands onto the battlefield or six cards in our hands or a mixture of both. So Flame Shadow Conjuring... Um, it's very simple, it's not very mana intensive, it's a really good addition. The next one is Mirror March. Now this card has a really high ceiling, but it also has a really low floor, and we'll, you'll, you'll figure that out here in a second. Um, it is 5 and a red for an enchantment. Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, flip a coin until you lose a flip. 
For each flip you won, create a token that's a copy of that creature. Those tokens gain haste. Exile them at the beginning of the next end step. So many of these uh, enchantments that we're running have really high costs, but they have a lot of value to them. So imagine playing a Risen Reef with a Mirror March and getting maybe two or three or six or 15 copies of it, um, depending on how lucky you are. Even if we're only getting a single copy of every creature that we get, it's basically just a really expensive panharmonicon. If you want something more fun, I definitely suggest um, adding Mirror March. If you think that it's a little too expensive for what it does, that's also perfectly reasonable. The next card is definitely for those more reasonable people. It's Followed Footsteps. Um... I don't think I had ever seen this card before I actually started looking up, um, put a token that's a copy of a creature onto the battlefield kind of cards. Um, but nonetheless, it is three a blue and a blue for an enchantment. It's an aura. It has enchant creature. And at the beginning of your upkeep, put a token that's a copy of enchanted creature onto the battlefield. So this card isn't very flexible. Um, unlike Flame Shadow Conjuring, we don't get to copy whatever we want. We only get to copy a single thing. But no additional costs to it does make it easy to use. So you just play it and you just get copies of stuff. Um, this, I definitely think, is much more of a value engine um, because you can easily put it on, say, a card draw creature or a ramp creature to get value, to get extra value every turn. You can put it on Consecrated Sphinx, and then you have one Consecrated Sphinx that makes it around the table, then you have two that suddenly make it around the table, then you have three, and then you have four, or you can put it on a Risen Reef, so you get a Risen Reef trigger, and then you'll get two Risen Reef triggers, and then you'll get three, and then you'll get four, and the value just keeps adding up um, with followed footsteps. And I think that it's a really good include just because it just starts to snowball the longer it stays on the board. The last one, hopefully a game ender, a very mana intense spell for a very good effect. Clone Legion. It is seven, a blue and a blue for a sorcery. For each creature target player controls, create a token that's a copy of that creature. So this card absolutely has the ability to end games. Hopefully we're targeting ourselves with it. And we're either copying it with Riku or we're copying um, the Clone Legion itself with um, another spell. And we're winning the game on the spot with casting this spell. So, we have a Risen Reef. We have a, Coiling we have a Coiling Oracle. We have a Terror of the Peaks. We have a Thorn Mammoth. We play Clone Legion on ourselves and we copy it. We'll get two more... Risen Reefs, two more Coiling Oracles, two more Thorn Mammoths, and two more Terror of the Peaks. So they all enter at the same time. So the Terror of the Peaks deals 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 damage, basically to whatever you want. That's a lot. And then all of those Thorn Mammoths will be fighting all kinds of other stuff, and the Risen Reefs will be getting triggers, and the, and the um, Coiling Oracles will be getting triggers. And this is probably almost the very floor of what Clone Legion can do. Hopefully you'll have a really big board. If someone tries to board wipe, we are we are in blue and we are in green. 
um, heroic intervention, counterspell, protects us from board wipes, things like that. So hopefully you're casting Clone Legion with an absolutely insane board state and just winning immediately. So we've gone over our combo. We've gone over our mana cards, our value creatures, um, how to copy a lot of our spells and how to copy a lot of our, a lot of our creatures. But I still feel like there's more value that we can be squeezing out of Riku. So I do have um, an other value section that I'd like to talk about a little bit. So um, most of the creatures that I think we should be using um, are probably enter the battlefield creatures. That way we can get more value from tokens. So Thassa, Deep Dwelling, is three and a blue for a legendary enchantment creature, God. She's a 6-5 with indestructible. As long as your devotion to blue is less than five, Thassa isn't a creature. And at the beginning of your end step... Exile up to one other target creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under your control. And for three and a blue, you can tap another target creature. So, um, Thassa can be blinking Risen Reefs, Coiling Oracles, Thorn Mammoths even, um, getting additional value off of our Terror of the Peaks, off of our Junk Winders, things like that. Um, it's also worth noting that if Thassa does blink creatures, they enter the battlefield, so then Riku can make more tokens of them because his ability will trigger. So um, Thassa, Conjurer's Closet does the same thing. Um, you can also use Crystal Shard, return those creatures back to your hand. Um, and then some other value. I feel like uh, I probably should have put this under value creatures, but I, I don't think that it's necessarily a value creature. I just think that it's kind of funny to incorporate in the deck it's bio visionary it is one a green and a blue for a creature a human wizard at the beginning of the end step if you control four or more creatures named bio visionary you win the game uh it's a two three so you play bio visionary you make a token of it you cast quasi duplicate you copy the quasi duplicate you make two more copies of bio visionary you go to your end step you win the game um if you make enough tokens of it, you can just win right on your turn because it does trigger on the end step. Um, so I think that this is honestly a really funny alternate um, win condition. If, you know, Zealous Conscripts, we can't find it. Um, we used all of our creature token makers so we can't copy Dual Caster Mage a bunch of times. Um, you can just make a bunch of copies of BioVisionary and then just win uh at the end of your turn and then probably some very obvious includes to the deck would be um token doublers so the new one from commander 2021 uh adrix and nev twin casters it is two a green and a blue for a legendary creature merfolk wizard uh it's a two two it has ward two so whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls counter it unless that player pays two and if one or more creatures, if one or more tokens would be created under your control, create twice that many of those creature of those tokens um, are created instead. So this is just really self-explanatory. Um, Parallel lives and doubling season also belong in the deck, and they do pretty much the same thing. Um, they all just 
double up on all of our creature token making. So they give us access to more copies of all of the creature tokens that we are trying to make with Riku in the first place. So we play a Coiling Oracle. We make a copy of it um, with Riku's ability, but Adrix and Nev says, nope, now you get two more. So we get three for only the price of two, which is pretty good. And the effects do actually stack. So, you have, so if you have Adrix and Nev and Parallel Lives and Doubling Season, you will be getting six copies of a single token, which is just absolutely fantastic. Even just having one of them, even getting twice as many of a single token that you should be getting is really, really good. So Riku has the ability to basically just outvalue opponents, and he can keep that advantage until the game is over. But... Many of the cards we already want to play overlap and are also combo pieces, which makes Riku a dual threat. So, Zealous Conscripts is a really good value card, getting to take a bunch of our opponent's permanents on the, on the same turn, smacking them with them, getting value off of them. Kiki-Jiki, making uh, token copies of our own creatures. Um, and then you just incidentally get to have both of them on the board. Is just really good. It's the same thing for Dual Caster Mage and um, something like Quasi Duplicate. And before I wrap up, I almost forgot to talk about tutors. So, for the main tutors for our combo, um, most of the pieces that we have are creatures and we are in green. So, finding um, creatures is not going to be that hard when we're in green. Even if we're not finding combo pieces, creature tutors are still pretty good. It lets us get um, like our Risen Reefs, our Coiling Oracles, things like that. Um, but they also do find important pieces, combo pieces. Um, Kiki-Jiki is definitely a great tutor target. I think Wandering Archaic is also just as good as a, of a tutor target. Um, getting a Terror of the Peaks, getting Essex or Bruticlad, anything like that. And then for the combo of Dualcaster Mage, we can still find the Dualcaster Mage with any of our green creature tutors. Um... But to find the creature copy spell, um, we are in blue, so Mystical Tutor, um, things like that, solve the equation. They help us find um, those instants and sorceries that we want. Alternatively, if you're also playing um, a lot of really good instants and sorceries that you want to be finding, um, things like Brass's Bounty, something like that, um, Having blue tutors that find those instants and sorceries for you is just as good. Being able to copy them and then get additional value from them is exponential. Copying tutors is really, really good value. So, that's it for this week. Let me know what kind of creatures you're planning on putting in a Riku deck. Let me know what kind of instants and sorceries you'll be putting in a Riku deck. Let me know if you are able to pull any of these combos off. And let me know if you actually get up to 15 copies of a Risen Reef with a single mirror march. I'm Aaron Bennick, and I'll see you next time.